1: Today, I am excited to be talking to Amy Newmark about living happier. Amy Newmark is a former Wall Street analyst and hedge fund manager turned best-selling author, editor-in-chief and publisher of the Chicken Soup for the Soul book series. Since 2008, she's published more than 170 of the Chicken Soup for the Soul series books. She's also the host of the Chicken Soup for the Soul podcast and the author most recently of Your 10 Keys to Happiness. Amy, welcome to Your Superpowered Mind. Well, thank you. I'm very excited about my superpowered mind. (laughs) Yes, I know. And actually, which leads perfectly into my, my first question, which is what superpower did you uncover as the result of mastering your mind. And nobody's mastered their mind, but you know, as learning more about yourself. I think my superpower might have partly come from being
0: kind of oblivious because what I've realized as I've gone through many, many careers throughout my life and done all kinds of weird things, is that I haven't always known what the norm is and what you're supposed to be able to do or not do. And so by accident, I take on challenges that I wasn't supposed to because I don't realize, oh, it's not supposed to work that way. <laughs> so I just keep doing new things in new ways, but really not because I'm some kind of adventurous person, but
1: more because I was clueless as to what the norm was. That is so funny. I have never heard anybody describe anything like that. so well, you you know I, even as I mentioned in your intro, you were um you know, you were a finance, like in the big finance, and now you're in this um you know, self-help area. How did that come about? <laughs> I know it's pretty funny because I
0: spent my whole life being you know, somebody who really used analytical skills, and I was. A consultant in the telecom industry, and then I was a Wall Street analyst covering telecommunications stocks, and then I ran a hedge fund that invested in telecom and technology stocks, and then I was on the management team of a telecom startup, and then I was on the board of directors of a bunch of telecom and technology companies. So everything was always all about finance and stock prices and Wall Street and you know business. But it's kind of like you. I mean, you were an attorney and now you bring those analytical skills to the world of self-help. So what happened in my case was my husband and I were looking for something new to do. And a friend of mine knew a guy who knew the founders of Chicken Soup for the Soul and knew that they wanted to sell. And this was back in 2007. So in 2008, we did one of the only leveraged buyouts done in the United States that year. Because remember, that was that deep, deep, deep
1: recession we were oh, in. Oh, yes, I do. Yes, And maybe not the best idea
0: buying a book publishing company during a deep recession, because it was a bit of a struggle for the first few years. Borders closed down. Bookstores were shutting down. Oh, the yes. of, Right? The amount of shelf space devoted to books was shrinking at stores. And plus, people didn't have a lot of disposable income to buy books, which are, in my mind, a necessity, but for some people might be considered more of a luxury. But anyway, that's how I came to this. When we were doing the due diligence on buying Chicken Soup for the Soul, I sat down and read 100 of the old Chicken Soup for the Soul books and realized that behind my whole business, Wall Street, finance persona, there was another persona which was destined to be the publisher and editor-in-chief of Chicken Soup for the Soul. And now I have published, boy, about 180 books. And what's really cool is that I've read tens of thousands of Chicken Soup for the Soul stories. And you know, these are all personal, true stories written by people about something momentous in their own lives that happened to them, and they pass on you know, their experiences, their best advice for our readers. So it's almost like reading thousands of psychology case studies. And by doing that, I now go back to my analytical self and I say, huh, I've read tens of thousands of stories where people talk about their innermost thoughts. I think I actually know what the 10 keys to happiness are because I've put them together over the 14 years I've been doing this job. And that's why I published this book that has just come out, Chicken Soup for the Soul, Your 10 Keys to Happiness, because I wanted to share what I have learned from reading all those tens of thousands of stories.
1: Ah, that's so cool. That's that's really fun. You would, you would. You have probably now absorbed all of those principles. So you know what? We do have to go to a break. Um... And when we do, I want to go more deeply. And so, you know, what are those? What have you um, distilled those keys down to be? But where can people find you in your book and the Chicken Soup for the Soul series and all of that?
0: You can go to chickensoup.com and you will learn about
1: everything we're
0: doing and you'll be able to learn a lot more about this particular book.
1: Great. Hang on, everyone. When we come back, we'll be going deeper into some of these 10 keys for living happier. Hang on.
0: Hi everyone, I'm Tonya Don Reckla, Executive Director of Superpower Experts. Are you ready to master your life? Are you looking for more calm and peace, connectedness in your relationships, more clear communication, guided thoughts, and a confidence in your ability to come up with creative solutions no matter what happens? Then join us at our next experience. Go to superpowerexperts.com and get signed up today.
1: Welcome back, everyone. I'm Kristen Maxwell, and I'm talking to Amy Newmark. So I want to go into some of the, um, you know, the keys for happiness that you've distilled down. But first, what do you think the power is of stories? Because these chicken soup series are all stories. You know, how does that help people? Or, you know, what's the value of that? You know, if you look
0: at how mankind has evolved, it's always been storytelling, which has been the best method for sharing wisdom and culture and advice. You know, you look at uh, prehistoric people who perhaps didn't even have a written language, but they would sit around the campfire and they would tell stories. And that was how they would pass on important information from one generation to the next. And I think it's because we learn best through stories, because we can relate to the characters and the stories, and we can imagine ourselves in the same position. And you ingest that great advice so much more easily if it comes from stories, which entertain you at the same time that they're teaching you something. It's so much easier to absorb information that way than from reading, say, a dry essay with bullet points. I mean, I know I learn a lot from watching movies because that's storytelling and you really take in what people are telling you. I remember a long time ago, there was a Will Smith movie where um, he had a car accident and I think his wife died in the car accident because he was looking at his phone. That made such an impression on my husband. He never looked at his phone again in the car. And if somebody had just written a newspaper article, you know, there are X number of accidents each year from people looking at their phones while they're driving, that would have made no impression on him. But seeing it as a story and relating to it really made it stick. So, what I did in this new book, Your 10 Keys to Happiness, is I took 101 stories that illustrate the 10 keys to happiness, I organized them into 10 chapters, one for each key. And then within those chapters, 10 stories that illustrate that key to happiness, show you why it works, give you role models uh, from the people who have written the stories, and really make it easy for you to figure out how you're going to use that key to happiness yourself. Oh, and by the way, Kristen, I didn't mention before, but I think this is important. You don't have to do all 10 keys to happiness. You could just do one, and even just doing one will make a big difference
1: in your life. Yeah. Yeah. You know, one of the things that you talk about is that you already have the tools to find happiness with inside you, inside you, and that you just need to use those tools. Um, Yes, that is true. Because if you look at some of
0: these keys to happiness, they are things that you can do in one minute, one minute, and you can change your outlook on life. For example, My first key to happiness, which is to use the power of gratitude, count your blessings. That's something that you could actually do in one minute a day. And we've had thousands of stories submitted to us from people who said, oh, I was a pessimist. I always took the negative view. I always looked at what I lacked, not what I had. And then they did a simple exercise, something like writing down one good thing that happened each day or writing down three things they were grateful for each day, but they had to write different things down each each day. And people found that even if they hadn't been naturally optimistic and naturally grateful people, that just by doing this for say a week, maybe maximum two weeks, they transformed themselves. It's very cool because there aren't that many personality traits you can add on once you're fully baked. Mm-hmm. But you can add on thankfulness, and it absolutely makes you a happier person. And people will actually relate to you differently, too, once, once they get that sense that you are thankful. And I say to people who pray, and I'm not one of them because I'm not religious, but for people who pray, I say to them, hey, why don't you stop asking for what you want? And, and instead, when you're praying, say thanks for what you have. And, and that is a dramatic change in perspective.
1: Yeah, it really is. And it's just it's so interesting how people, you know, and I've said this before, you know, in talking about gratitude, I used to think, well, that's such a silly, stupid exercise. How is that going to change anything? But over time, what you're doing is you're actually rewiring your brain to go down a different path. So instead of always making the connections of, oh, this is what's wrong and this is why it sucks. It's like, well, this is what's right. You know, what is right now? It's sort of people often live with this background question of what's wrong. And when you become, when you're in this process of doing the exercises, you're asking the question of what is right right now? Yeah, you spend the whole day thinking, Hmm, what are the three things
0: I'm going to write down tonight? Especially if you aren't allowed to repeat anything, you can only write down one time, I love my kids you know, (laughs) or I'm grateful to my husband for helping me. You can only write that down once. So you're going to have to find three new things to write down each day. And that means you spend your whole day focusing on what's good. So it really does rewire your brain, like you said. And then my second key to happiness, which I think we all need to work on, is something that you can literally accomplish in one second. You really can. And that is to use the power of forgiveness to liberate yourself. And I know we all carry around some resentments and some hurt feelings and some disappointments from our pasts. But what if you could just intellectually know, yeah, that thing happened, but you could stop reliving that emotion. And if you could stop reliving it, then you would stop letting it control your life. You don't want to bring a past resentment into the present or even into your future. And so I have a great story in the book from a woman named Lynn Sunday, who was always complaining about her ex-husband for years after they were divorced. And finally, her best friend said to her, you might as well still be married to the man. You take him with you wherever you go. Mm -hmm. And that was such an eye-opener for Lynn. And she realized, oh my gosh, my ex-husband has gotten on with his life. I'm sitting here in a prison of my own making, letting him bug me every day. Why am I letting him into my head? This is ridiculous. And in one second, she said, well, that's over. And she said she felt buoyant, light, free after she did that. I like to think of a lack of forgiveness as if you're wearing this cloak. Mm -hmm. And you have this heavy cloak that you're dragging around. It's weighing you down by your shoulders. And you have sewn onto this cloak every bad thing that you're still thinking about that happened to you in the past. But those things did happen in the past and that's why they're behind you on this cloak. And what if you just shrugged off the cloak and let that big, heavy piece of fabric fall behind you and now you're light and you're free and you can move forward with your life and you're not condoning what happened. Forgiveness doesn't mean you're saying, oh, that person's okay, that didn't really happen, don't worry about it. That's not what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is that you have decided not to keep reliving the negative emotions that were associated with that event. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. So it sounds like, you know, are there other stories around forgiveness? Because forgiveness is one that's really hard for people. It Um, is really hard
0: for people. I totally agree with you. There was another great story from a woman who had a lot of trouble with her mother-in-law. And reading her story, I thought, oh, yeah, I can see why you had trouble with your mother-in-law. For example, her mother-in-law excluded her from family photos at a family wedding, like being the spouse of the mother-in-law's son didn't count. Can you imagine you're married to somebody and you're excluded from the photos? But the woman did a lot of things that were nasty, and sometimes she meant to do them, and sometimes she really did do them by accident. But what this person did what the daughter-in-law did was she sat down and she made a list of every bad thing that her mother-in-law had done knowingly or or just by accident and she made this list on her computer it took her a few days to do it and then she read the list read each item deleted it read the next item deleted it read the next item deleted it and then when she was finished she said okay, my mother-in-law has a clean slate now. And it dramatically improved her relationship with her mother-in-law because what she had been bringing into her interactions with her mother-in-law was a hundred past resentments. Yeah. So, so imagine how bad it is if you're reliving a hundred past resentments and now your mother-in-law says something to you and you're not just reacting to the one thing that she just said to you, but you're reacting to 100 other things at the same time. And so our writer L.Y. Levin said that her relationship with her mother-in-law was transformed and was so much healthier after she deleted her list of wrongs.
1: Yes. Yeah. It's where you show up and you've got this grumpy chip on the shoulder attitude. You're almost not asking for it, but you're not giving off a good energy. So you're going to get people being prickly with you also. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. Because because, you know, when somebody's
0: carrying her, around a lot of bitterness, you can see it in their faces. It creeps me out, actually. When I uh, come across people who are bitter, you can see it and they, they carry their bodies differently and their faces are different. Mm-hmm. And I just don't even want to go there. And yeah. so I think if I'm like that, I think a lot of people are like that. So it really does affect your interactions with the rest of the world when you're carrying around all of that stuff. So. I've learned through reading all these chicken soup for the soul stories, how to use these tricks, you know, how to use gratitude, how to use forgiveness. And I don't carry these resentments around. And I will talk about the things that happened in the past, but more in a, in a abused way. Like, can you believe that that guy did that, but not carrying around the negative feelings anymore? Just saying, wow, that was a weird thing that happened.
1: Yeah. That's really that's really quite interesting. And so where do you get your stories? How do you collect these stories? So freelance
0: writers love to write for us. It's, it's actually a real mark of distinction to have on your writer's resume if you've had a story published by Chicken Soup for the Soul because we get thousands of submissions for each book and we only have 101 spots. So people go to our website and you go to chickensoup.com, you click on submit your story, and then we show you all the different topics that we're working on right now. And we also have story guidelines there that that help you to write a good narrative nonfiction story. Nonfiction is key. We don't want any embellishing. These are supposed to be absolutely true stories. And we can usually tell if you're embellishing them, and then we just delete them. And so then you have no shot. Mm -hmm. Uh, But anyway, people submit the stories and then months or even years later they will hear from us if we are going to use their stories and we are um, viewed as probably the best anthology series for a writer to be published in because we pay the most we treat our writers with respect we don't do any edits without their permission we we give them lots of free copies of their books and then we let them buy more copies that have price like we treat our writers like they are members of our family. We really care about them. So it's a really great experience for us and for our writers. And we have thousands, that maybe 10,000 people we've published who are part of the Chicken Soup for the Soul family. And we get to know them really well over time because lots of them end up having multiple stories published by us.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Have you ever been a writer yourself? Uh, Well, I've been writing.
0: No, I I do a ton of writing because, well, I write a lot of chicken soup for the soul stories that have my name on them. But then I also write, I also do a lot of writing within our books. For example, Your 10 Keys to Happiness has 11 essays from me, where I help guide the reader through the book. So there's a ton of writing. Plus, in our books in general, I do a lot of writing of the stories because a story will come in and it might be a great plot, but sometimes the writer needs some help. And so I go in and I actually edit every word of every story in every one of our books. So I'm very much hands-on and uh, helping helping our writers when they need the help to make their stories even better.
1: Yeah, that's great. That's so fun. So what, are, what, would, what would you say are some of the other most important tips? Like if people are like, okay, I want to do something and I want to feel a little bit better. <laughs> is there one that you think is more important than any others? Well, in addition to the two I mentioned
0: already, I think that get outside in nature is really important because it gives us such great perspective. Presumably, when you do get outside in nature, you're getting some exercise, and that alone is life-changing. But also, it just gives you perspective on your own problems and where they fit into the universe. And when you're outside and you see the squirrels bustling about and the birds doing their thing and all the different animals that are, you know, mating and finding shelter and, and hunting for food and doing all the things they need to do, you realize they don't care about your problems. And hey, you're not even searching for shelter and they are. So their problems are probably worse than yours. And I think it just makes you much less narcissistic, you know, Mm -hmm. and much less self-indulgent when you when you realize that you are just one tiny little living creature in a gigantic universe of living creatures.
1: Yes, that is. And so do you have like a favorite story about that um, around the nature um yeah there was one woman she
0: she um she got a beagle she rescued a beagle from a shelter and then she took the beagle for his first walk and he just wanted to keep stopping and smelling everything and she wanted to get to the river but he didn't know there was a river to get to he just wanted to enjoy every single precious inch along the way and they never did get to the river and that's when she realized that getting to her destination didn't really matter because what mattered was enjoying the journey. And so she learned to live in the moment. And that's something we all need to do every single day is spend some time living in the moment, which also ties into one of my other favorite chapters, which is about how we need to make me time every day, or at least every week. And it's really not selfish to make yourself a priority for maybe 30 minutes a day, you know, to go on that walk or to read a book or to take a bubble bath or to just sit on your porch and and vegetate. But whatever it is, you need to give yourself that me time if you're going to be of any use to the people in your life.
1: Yes, that is so true. And that is something that people have a heart. Some people have a really hard time doing. There's a way in which there's some guilt. I definitely was much more like that before.
0: Yeah, we had a great story from a woman named Christine Byron, who actually happens to be the mother of our associate publisher. And Christine had a job where there was a shared calendar. And so she was very good at sales. And people kept putting more and more meetings, sales meetings on her calendar. And she had no time for herself or for for her family. Family time, I would call we time. So she needed some me time and some we time. And then her mentor said to her, oh, I know what your problem is. You need some lily pads on your schedule. And Christine said, what is a lily pad? And her mentor said, well, you know how frogs jump out of the pond and they sit on the lily pad and they relax in the sun for a little while? You need to put some fake appointments on your calendar (laughs) so that you have lily pads. You need a lily pad every day to jump out and relax and have that wee time or if you need to spend the time with your family, the wee time. And so I thought that was great advice. We all need lily pads in
1: our daily lives. Yeah, I really like that. I like that visual of it too, of, you know, sort of jumping up and out. Yeah, I,
0: it works for me. I have a frog pond um, right by my house. So I've been watching the frogs and thinking about lily pads. And I guess when I go out there and stare at the frogs, I am creating some me time for
1: myself. Yes. Yeah. You know, it's funny because some people, they, um, they will take some self care time, but it's almost as if it's another item on their to do list. You know, like I have to do this so I can keep going. Almost. Um, yeah, I agree
0: with you. This your me time should be something that's really enjoyable. Now, if that means you're training for a marathon and your me time is that you are trying to hit, you know, your target every single day, that's okay. But it has okay. to be something you really enjoy.
1: Right. Something that you lose yourself in just because you're losing yourself in it Um, for the fun of it. Yeah, I used to always, I mean, I very much, especially when I was working, you know, as a lawyer and all of this, there was, I had this sense that time either had to be really fun. I either had to be having a great time or being really productive. Those were my two categories of how to spend time really fun or productive. Um, and it's so funny because we're having this conversation. I have not had that thought in years.
0: Yeah, I still do sometimes. Some, I mean, people have told me, oh, you should meditate. And I said, can I meditate while I walk? And they say, <laughs> no. Can I meditate while I swim? No. I said, well, I'm not doing that.
1: That's
0: not happening. Yes, I had a really
1: hard time getting into meditation. I'm still not a very long meditator, but it it took me um, really learning to be okay. I'm going to sit here with my coffee, which I was going to do anyway, and I'm just going to breathe for a few minutes to start to get there. But yes, for me, a lot of my meditation time also comes from physical activity. And yeah. Exactly. That's so much better. Oh, another
0: um, key to happiness that I've identified, and this is so much fun, is that you should step outside your comfort zone because we all have this tendency by accident to make our lives narrower. Even something like always shopping at the same grocery store because you know where everything is in those aisles. Mm-hmm. Like, go to a different grocery store where you don't know where anything is because it will force you to find stuff And also, you might buy something that you don't ordinarily buy. You might try a new food or some kind of new product. But I have a lot of stories in the book from people who stepped outside their comfort zone very deliberately, like making uh, a pledge to do a year of saying yes to new things, whatever it was. And it's really life-changing when you do that. And it's a policy that I adopted when I turned 50 and uh, my husband, of course, has been dragged along and he's, he's, he's been forced to do new things because I'm doing new things. But we've had so much fun stepping outside our comfort zone and doing new things. And whenever something comes up, we look at each other and we're like, oh, yeah, we have to do
1: that because we have to do new things. Oh, that's fun. Like, yes, this is just, just because of it. It's something new and different. That's great. That's a really fun way um, to think about things. It makes
0: you energized and empowered and you feel proud of yourself. And I have a story in your 10 Keys to Happiness about the scariest new thing that I tried, which was paragliding off a thousand foot cliff in Oman. Oh, wow. And it it was really scary because I somehow was being a total idiot and i had always said i would never jump out of an airplane because i would be afraid that the parachute that the little strings would all get tangled up and that i would plummet to my death yes and and i somehow thought paragliding was like hang gliding you know with some fixed wing thing which made uh-huh. a ro- that made like aerodynamic sense to me but then after i had committed to the paragliding and i was at the top of the cliff and they were putting the harness on me I looked behind me and there was a parachute lying on the ground with a million little strings coming out of it. And then I realized, Oh my God, how am I an editor in chief of a, you know, a publishing company? And I didn't realize that the word paragliding included para, which means parachute. And, (laughs) and then they said, the only way the parachute works is you have to run off the cliff. It won't fill with air until you run off the cliff.
1: Oh my gosh.
0: You had to have faith that you would run off the cliff and the parachute would fill with air and you wouldn't die. And so I did it, but only because, you know, they have you go with somebody you're strapped onto another person. So basically he ran, he He ran off the cliff and my legs, were. he was really tall. So my legs were kind of in the air, like a cartoon character. And I'm (laughs) kind of going like that. And I did it though. And um, it was really scary, but I was really proud of myself. And I I really do think it changed my life because after I did that, there were so many other things that came along where I said, well, I jumped off that cliff in Oman, I can do this. And I've used that feeling of empowerment over and over again to do additional scary things.
1: Yes, it is. It is a very um, interesting thing how it works on you later, because I did some It was a ropes course, not nearly as scary as what you were doing at all, but I did it. And there were people who were terrified and really had a hard time doing it. And it reminded me how fun it is that scary things, new things can really be fun, actually. And I had forgotten that. I'd gotten into this sort of being serious and all of that. But I'm still not paragliding. So I'm sorry.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It really, I mean, my husband loved it. He absolutely loved it. He wasn't even afraid at all. I was the one who was writing the newspaper article in my mind, you know, you know, yeah. Mother, mother and publisher plummets to her death on the Persian Gulf. You know, I was the whole article was written in my head. (laughs) Yeah.
1: That's so funny. I mean, not funny, but yes, very funny. So well, good. Well, we are almost out of time. And I, but I guess my question is, which of these has made the biggest difference for you? Is there one of these tips that you would say has made the biggest difference for you? I
0: think I have to give you a few. I think the free yourself with forgiveness is life-changing for me. Another tip we didn't talk about is have less stuff. And I do that now, I'm culling and culling and culling my possessions. So that's that's made a big difference to me. Making me time and knowing that I'm allowed to do that, that's made a big difference. And the stepping outside your comfort zone has made a big difference for me. I was already doing the get outside in nature. So that one I, I didn't need personally, but those other four, I think have made a big difference for me.
1: Yeah, that's great. And I guess it's also just this awareness Of that, these are things you can do that are going to actually give your brain a pick me up
0: just by doing that.
1: Absolutely.
0: And these are easy. And it's like you said at the beginning, we all have the tools already to lead a happier life. What I've done in this book is I've just laid them out in front of our readers very simply and clearly so they can pick and choose what they would like to do.
1: Yeah. That's great. Well, thank you so much for coming here and and sharing all about the book and these stories. Um, And people can find the book and Amy um, at chickensoup.com. And you can also come and check out uh, Superpower Experts and the community we have there to help carry you through at yoursuperpoweredmind.com. So thank you, Amy.
0: Thank you so much for having me on. It was really fun talking to such a like-minded person.
1: Yeah, it was really, really fun. And all you listeners, thank you for showing up for yourself. And until next time, go out and remember that you do hold the power to change and transform your world. Are
0: you ready to discover your superpowers? Go now to superpowerexperts.com and take the superpower quiz today.